The following podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not to be considered as legal advice and does not contain an attorney-client relationship. If you need legal advice, contact a licensed attorney in your state. Enjoy the show. Two lawyers and a real person talk about the law. I am Kathry. I am the real person. I'm Stacy Krause, one of the lawyers. And I'm Courtney Daly, the other lawyer. And this week we are talking about the role of the judge in the criminal court. When I think of judges, I think of some stern figure with a gavel shouting order and making decisions, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure about that anymore. So can someone tell me what a judge actually does? Well, we have someone with us who should be pretty good at answering us, but answering that for us. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. <laughs> well, hello. Hello. I'm Judge Michael DeLeon. I'm judge of County Court of Law number seven here in Bear County. And uh, I'm happy to be here on your podcast of over 20 million people. <laughs> Thank you for doing it. And our 20 million uh, followers. That we definitely <laughs> totally have. <laughs> so, Judge, um, how long have you been a judge? Ooh, I've been a judge almost coming up on two years. Uh, before that, before I got elected in November of 2018, uh, I was a prosecutor with the district attorney's office here in Bear County for 15 years. So uh, I've seen it all here at the courthouse. And you can't hear it, but there'll be a boo track there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. No, I'm kidding. We love prosecutors. They're fine. <laughs> uh-huh. Totally. I completely believe you based on the things that you have already said on this podcast that people will be able to hear and listen to. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> so, Judge, what made you want to go from a prosecutor to a judge, a career prosecutor to a judge? That's very true. Uh, the, the, the short answer is I want to be my own boss. I don't want to have a boss. Amen. <laughs> So there's no one overseeing you as a judge. That's true. You are the person who runs your court and uh, you're only answerable to the uh, citizens of the county who you work for. Huh. Yeah. Was being a judge what you expected it to be like? Uh, very much so. Uh, it was. I, I've been, you know, uh, I've been practicing law for 17. Oh, no, actually, it's going on to like 20 years now. Um, and over 20 years, I've seen lots of different judges. I've seen the way you should be a judge and the way you should not be a judge. And by observing those examples, I've taken all that and, um, you know, used the good judge parts and uh, applied that to my particular court. And uh, just, I don't know if I said it before, but my particular court is a domestic violence court, a misdemeanor domestic violence court, which means that uh, people, pretty much first-time offenders for domestic violence, uh, are in my particular court. So, okay. So, so you say you say you have a, a like a particular kind of case that goes into your court. Do all courts have specialties, or is that just some courts? Just some courts. Uh, here in Bear County, we have fifteen county courts. Two of those are civil courts. They just handle 
civil matters, but the other 13 different courts are criminal courts that handle misdemeanors. And amongst those 13, two of them are specialty courts in that they handle domestic violence cases exclusively. The other, uh, let me do my math, 11 courts, county courts, uh, they handle everything, DWIs, regular assaults, um, marijuana, theft, unlawfully carrying a weapon, various different type of cases. But my particular court handles domestic violence cases, so that's your assault family um, assault family cases. It's also anything related to a domestic violence case. You know, sometimes people can pick up multiple charges in one incident, so um, I can handle all of those. Did, did you get to choose what you would handle when you first became a judge? Well, I ran for county court seven knowing it was a domestic violence court and oh. um, knew I would go into that uh, particular court handling nothing but domestic violence. And the reason for that was I was a, for over a decade, I was a prosecutor doing domestic violence uh, cases. For many years, I handled, you know, exclusively family violence cases, including uh, capital murders that are family violence uh, such as a husband killing his wife, those type of things. So um, because of that background that I have, I felt I was a good fit for running a domestic violence court. And that's how I chose to run for that particular court. Okay. And so so has County Court 7 just like always been the domestic violence court? Uh, many, many years. Yes. At least okay. 20, 25 years. Easy. Oh, my God. Yes. All right. Sure. Did you know you were always going to want to be a judge? No, not at all. I mean, I I didn't even know if I really wanted to be a lawyer. I fell uh, backwards into law school and um, just went from there. And uh, I just found a niche that I liked doing criminal work versus the personal injury stuff I started doing out as an intern in law school. I went from personal injury and uh, – um, Figured I do not want to do that. And, and <laughs> to the DA's office, actually in Harris County in Houston, uh, got an internship there and I, I just loved it. And like a fish to water, I, I stuck with it. Okay. Well, I think, I think we've got a sort of a good basis on who you are. How about we transition into more broadly what a judge is, what a judge does. Um, Sure. Did we did we think to did we think to prepare like a, a very technical definition of what a judge is? Is there a definition? I bet Judge Leon has a definition. Let's hear it. My definition basically is a judge is a referee. Neutral. He just decides to follow the law and when one side or the other side wants to do something and there's something that one side says, No, you can't do that, the judge decides if it's allowed or not. Pretty simple. And uh, so kind of like an umpire calling balls and strikes. That's your job as a judge. However, there are, you know, um, a judge has to use his common sense and discretion to allow certain things to happen and to not allow certain things to happen. And because of that, being a human being, every judge is different. So every judge will look at things in a different way, different light. And um, in my particular job, I'm there to say, you know, are you following the law or not? And judgment calls that come in between, you know, you have to uh, just make those uh, decisions as, uh, as, um, as the situations arise and every situation is different. I like that. 
I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's funny that you uh, defined it as like a referee because a lot of times when I'm trying to explain to clients like how you know the process works, because a lot of times we have clients that are like, um, you know, should I tell the judge this? Like when I talk to the judge, should I like say this? And we're like, okay, you're not going to be talking to the judge today. <laughs> um, you probably won't actually be speaking to the judge. You know, uh, most likely. And so when we have Ever. to, yeah, when I have to explain like your role, that's what I say. I say, he's really just like a referee. Like the person we're trying to convince to drop your case is the state. We can't go talk to the judge and ask him to drop your case. Um, yes. So yeah, I use that. I use that analogy too. I'm sure you've had defendants come to you though, judge, and come up to the bench and be like, can you just drop my case? I'm sure that's happened to you. There, there's always been a couple that are insistent that need to talk to me. And I'm like, all right, you know, we're not that busy this particular moment. Come on up. What do you want to ask me? And they're like, judge, you know, and they want to spit their case out. And I'm like, everything you're telling me right now, you need to talk to your attorney and let your attorney talk to the state. Mm-hmm. The criminal world, you, you, your attorney has to deal with the prosecutor's uh, not me. Uh, I, I get everything in the end. Mm-hmm. So, yes. I've seen that many times. Yeah. So when, when a case comes into your court, like what is, what is your role role with that case? Do you, do you not have any interaction with that case until the defense attorney and the prosecutor come to an agreement? Well, when a case first comes to the court, um, Number one, we want to make sure people are behaving themselves while they're out on bond, if they're out on bond. Sometimes you're either in jail or you're out on a bond. If you're out on a bond, we need you to behave, you know, while you're out on bond. So one of my jobs is right from the start is people will not behave while they're out on bond. And I'll get reports from that because they either got rearrested or the complainants, you know, calls, um, one of many people to say, Hey, they're not behaving. And that's something where I can get involved. Well, okay. Uh, if someone's not behaving while they're on bond, what do you, what do you do? Like, I'm sure that you don't go and personally show up at that person's house. Um, <laughs> you should. Oh, I have a new role for the judge. They personally show up at people's oh houses God. and like wag their finger and say, naughty, naughty. <laughs> That's not a good idea. No, no, that probably is not a good idea. You're right. I would not be doing that personally. (laughs) Now, in in our particular county, we have something called pretrial services that supervises uh, people while they're out on bond. And I get reports from pretrial service just to say, number one, this person's not reporting uh, every week or every month like they're supposed to. We're calling them. We can't find them, you know? That's something that we can uh, act upon. Uh, but the more serious deal is, um, especially in domestic violence cases, is someone's, uh, you know, I'm getting a report that, you know, Mr. Mr. Garza is going over to the complainant's house, the person he alleged to have beaten up. And despite a no contact order, he was banging on her door last night in violation of the no contact order. Or even he was on a GPS, you know, device. He wasn't supposed to leave his house, and then they tracked him leaving his house. And sure enough, he was at uh, the complainant's house, which is what we deem to be not behaving while you're out on bond. So um, the options for that basically are, you know, I can 
call them to court and say, you know, hey, what's going on? Why are you doing these things? That's the kind of the nice version. The other version is to just say, you know, get that report and increase their bond, have them rearrested. They'll go back to jail and they can either bond out or they can stay in jail until their case is resolved. So that's a way to uh, ensure compliance. So so while pretrial services is, is the agency behind keeping track of these people, the judge is sort of in charge of making the call on what is done with that information? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. They give me the info that I need, and then I can act upon it. Uh, sometimes, you know, you get little minor offenses. Um, somebody out on bond said, when asked, uh, they said, yes, I was smoking weed last night. And, you know, that isn't a problem, is it? And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> you, but Short answer, yes. Please don't smoke weed while you're on bond and then admit it. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> That's the important part. <laughs> free legal advice for this episode. Don't smoke weed on bond and then admit it. Yes, never admit it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But when they do admit that, I mean, that's something they could tell me. And I would go, well, that's not something I'm going to lock somebody up for. But we tell them, like, just advise them, stop smoking the weed. Or maybe we're going to make it for a <laughs> drug test in another week or so and make sure they're not continuing to do any type of drugs, that type of thing. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Are you ever surprised by the things that people admit to you? Because it seems so silly to me, like, if I was in front of a judge and I, I mean, well, maybe if I had committed a crime or something, like, I feel like I would be more hesitant just to, like, admit to all these things. But then again, (laughs) I know better. But you know what I mean. You know, I'm not surprised at what defendants will sometimes tell me. Um, Sometimes I'm very much surprised at what lawyers will tell me. I'm like, seriously? (laughs) That's what you're telling me? Can you give us an example? (laughs) I don't think. You should give us an example. Somebody will feel called out. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, Judge, he beat his wife. And yeah, he harassed her. But, you know, that is, you know, and there was some excuse for (laughs) for (laughs) the reason that he was beating his wife. And I'm like, oh, God, that's not good to say out loud. (laughs) (laughs) You're not supposed to do that. Yeah, you want want to fight for your client, not to, you know. Concede. Concede any points like that. Okay, so I think I I understand more or less what the judge's role is. Um, Do you, though? Well, okay, listen. (laughs) I understand as much as I'm going to. Uh, So the role, the role. Uh-huh. The role of the judge is transitional too. Like he has the role pre-trial, he has the role trial, and then he has the role post-trial. Yeah, we can talk about that. Let's say somebody does behave the whole time. They're going to have a, an attorney appointed to them if they can't afford an attorney. And once that attorney is appointed to them, they talk to the prosecution, which is the defense, I'm sorry, the district attorney's office. And then there's... The two parties coming together to see if they can resolve the case, either with a dismissal or with uh, some type of plea, or let's say they can't come to any agreement. They say, we need to set it for trial. Well, at that point, it'll get set to another date. And one day when we get to the case, because we deal with the oldest cases first, we will have a trial if uh, it can't be resolved. 
so during the trial, you are like, I imagine that that would be the point at which your refereeing gets gets the most involved mm-hmm. because during the trial, you're you're helping keep the balance between the prosecutor and the defense attorney while they present their cases. Is that correct? Exactly. That's when we start seeing the TV and movie type version of a judge. <laughs> sure. Because it's not my case that I'm running. It's I'm just watching the case, uh, hearing it for the first time, like uh, the jury would be hearing it. But the prosecution has the burden to prove somebody guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So they're going to put on their case. The defense attorneys can you know, listen to that case. They can object if they think something should not be admitted into evidence or should not be allowed. Uh, and the judge will you know, make the call whether the evidence comes in or not. And once the state completely you know, does their case and the, the state rests, that's what they say at the end of their case, the defense can put on a case if they wish to, but they don't have to because the defense doesn't have a burden because we all know that the state has to prove somebody guilty beyond a reasonable doubt because in the United States, uh, every defendant is innocent until proven guilty. Unless. So the defense don't, doesn't have to do a thing. The state has to Sorry, prove judge. the case. Unless. Not <laughs> it's unless they're proven guilty, judge. Not what until. is that? What did I say? You said until. <laughs> did I say until? <laughs> I love it. We are hitting just about every episode that we've that we've had so far presumption of innocence what involved in a trial um beyond a reasonable doubt we've got it all stacy's pet peeves we've got it all yeah yeah that's come up almost in every episode stacy corrects someone and says unless (laughs) Unless. it's always just like that 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 quiet little unless unless actually actually it's it's unless sorry sorry that's not what it's it's unless actually. <laughs> so you aren't the first victim to fall to Stacey's pet peeve, Judge. Absolutely, I'm sure. I won't be the last. Yeah, exactly. It's just really easy because that is what Law and Order says until yeah. proven yeah. guilty. So it's just it's it's ingrained in society that it's until. But in the you know the state of Texas has seen fit to make it part of the statute that it's not until it's unless. So. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Just a little bit of a verbal smile and nod, and moving swiftly on. <laughs> so, so, so we, the trial has ended. Well, the, the, trial uh, ha- uh, if the trial has ended. The judge, the judge is almost done. Let's talk in the in between during negotiations and stuff because we also like. You know, when we're representing clients, we're also appearing before we even have trials to decide. You know. Are we going to put it on the trial docket? And then we do have trial appearances. And part of the judge's job is listening to our announcements and deciding, like, you know, is he going to, like, are we ready? Are we not ready? And then sometimes the state has to give their excuses to why they're not ready, that kind of thing. Sure. I mean, let's talk a little bit about before trial. If both sides can't come to an agreement, they say, you know, we need a jury trial. Okay, we'll put you on the jury trial docket. What that means, however, is that there are hundreds of cases that need to go to trial and only one courtroom. So every week we can do one, maybe two trials if we go work really fast. But um, if you, you know, given the court system, and I'm sure this is not just Bear County, but every county, there's a backlog going on all the time. 
And um, if you want a trial, there could be six months before you get a trial. It could be nine months. It could be a year, year and a half. You never know. Every court is different. But before that, um, yeah, attorneys file motions because they want to have, you know, to determine what the evidence is before a trial begins. So that type of uh, what we call discovery uh, has to be done before the trial starts. So in uh, my particular court, you know, we got to figure out what's going to some, you know, the defense can always say, you know, we, there's this particular piece of evidence that we don't believe should be coming into the trial. We need to talk about it before the trial starts. And that's something that I would have the parties get together and with me and we'll talk it out and see if, you know, there's anything to, uh, to be done about that. And you're beholden to the law and the rules of evidence judge when you're making decisions. That's correct. So this isn't so, just a judgment call completely. You're 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 checking up on what the law is yourself if you, if you don't know specifically what it is, and you're you're making that call based on what the law tells you it should be. Yes, I'm doing that based on the law. Uh, if in TV and movies, though, everybody sees that the judge says, you know, sometimes there's like a objection, judge. You know, we object to this piece of evidence. And the judge says, no, I'll allow it. And then they look to the other party and says, this better be good. As, <laughs> you know, as if, you know, I'll allow this evidence that shouldn't be coming in. But, you know, just for entertainment purposes, this better be good. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> if your evidence is high enough quality, you can bring it in. <laughs> you, you would never say that is what you're saying, Judge. <laughs> I would never say that. I'd be embarrassed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Although every once in a while I get a little whim and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> you might think it. <laughs> okay. So, so in this, in the sort of spaces before and after a trial, when, when you're deciding what gets to go into trial or what gets to happen after the trial, is it fair to say that you're sort of a jury replacement? Hmm, what do you mean by that? Well, like, during a trial, the jury is the body that decides the, the, mm -hmm. whether or not the defendant is found guilty. That's correct, Like, yeah. in, in situations where it's not a matter of guilt, but a matter of whether you get to go forward with a certain motion or not, you know, you're yeah. you're the one that decides that. The easiest explanation is the judge decides the law, but the jury decides the facts of the case. Ah. They look at the facts of the case. They can say, you know what? I think this person um, beat up this other person because they were defending themselves. Um, because every of single case, judge. That is every, every single, single case, yes. <laughs> or the jury might look at it and go, you know what? I don't think they were defending themselves, even though they say they were defending themselves. I think they were just being really mean and beating up their wife. So that's one way of looking at it. It's all up to the jury to decide the facts of the case. I just figure out the law part. Okay. And the lawyers tell me, you know, they'll object if they think, hey, we're not following the law. And here's the reason why, judge. And then I decide. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. I can, I, I, the real person can follow that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I feel like we've gotten through pretty much the, the role of the judge pre-trial and, and during trial. What's all this about after well, trial shenanigans? You know, 
We're no, not done with I'm trial wrong. yet. Okay. No, we're not done never with mind. trial yet. <laughs> we're um, not? We're never no. done with trial, Well, you, you kind of explained it a little bit with, with saying that the role of the judge in the trial is to, to decide what the law is. But the judge instructs the jury on the law. And I think that's a really important piece to talk about. It is. I think, uh, see, once the case is over, both sides have presented their their cases. If the defense decides to put on a case, they can, but they don't have to. But once the uh, all the evidence is done and the jury's heard all that, then I instruct the jury what the law will be. And I read it to them, read them the law, and then I they'll have a copy of what I read to them to take back to the jury room. And they took an oath, the jury took an oath at the beginning of the case to follow the law. And um, that's what I expect them to do, is to follow the law. And they basically apply the facts of the case that they just heard, and they apply it to the law. And then they instructed to come up with a verdict of either guilty or not guilty, uh, based on the charge. So that is essentially their job. So, uh, And they have all the time in the world to decide if someone's guilty or not guilty. They can decide in, who knows, one minute or uh, one day or two days or three days. And I never know. I had an overnight verdict once and it was the worst. Like, I never want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and so during during that sort of, you know, instructing of the law to the jury, you're not interpreting the law for them at all, right? Oh, no. like you're, just, you're just reading it to them? I'm reading it to them and um, both sides, the, the state and the defense, have already looked at what I'm going to read to the jury. And they've um, if they object to anything, they can object to it. I might change it. Uh, based on their objection, or I might say, nope, you're overruled, and we're going to go forward anyways. But both sides know what the law is going to be when they when I read it to the jury. So you have to send them like a draft first? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But you're... It's like sending, it's like sending an essay to your teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're deciding what law applies to this case. Yes. If I decide, you know, hey... um, I've listened to the case just like the jury did, and self-defense doesn't apply. Um, I'm not going to put it in the jury charge to read it to the jury. Now, the defense attorney might say, Judge, we want an instruction on self-defense. And I say, but based on the facts, you don't get it because um, for whatever legal reason. So that's the judgment call that a judge will make. They'll decide whether self-defense goes in there or it doesn't. And what uh, particular defenses, if any, come into the jury charge? You never know. Because there's more than self-defense out there. There can be um, defense of third person, defense of property. Consent. Consent, yes. Consent is basically saying two two people said, I want to fight you. And the other person says, I want to fight you. And they went at it. Well, you know, if if you're agreeing to fight... That's not an assault. That's just two people agreeing. So that's called consent. Consent is one of my favorite defenses. And we did we tried a, an assault in a different court on a consent defense. And when we went back to talk to the jury judge, they were like, we hate this law. <laughs> <laughs> they found our client not guilty, but they were like, we hate that this is the law. <laughs> and that's a jury listening to the law and saying, we got to follow the law. Mm-hmm. That's their job. Yeah. You would hope jurors do that all the time. Okay. And when you're when you're making the determination of what law should go on the jury charge, it and and you uh, you said that you're looking at 
whether like the facts have raised that as a matter of law. So like, I I think in previous episodes, we talked about kind of how, you know, you have to raise certain facts in order to get certain defenses. So you're just making sure that those facts were raised in order for the state to actually claim that defense or else we could just throw every defense in there, even though we haven't talked about it to see what sticks kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, if you want to throw everything into there just to confuse the jury, that probably would confuse the jury. So the judge, you know, has to determine, hey, is there even just a little bit of evidence that would support putting this defense in? And I've seen many cases where I'm going, you know, the defense wants self-defense and I'm going, it's really weak. It's really not. I mean, I don't believe it for a second and probably the jury doesn't believe it for a second, but because of the law, there is a little bit of evidence to it, then it co- it goes in there. And the jury has to determine at that point whether self-defense is something that's uh, going to be going forward uh, with the jury. I mean, they have to figure out if the person acted in self-defense or not. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. And that's probably because we have the, uh, the only presumption we have in the system is this presumption towards innocence. So everything has to kind of go towards that presumption. Right, Judge? Exactly. You're right. Because people are innocent until proven guilty. Unless. Unless. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that all makes sense. (laughs) What I'm hearing, what I'm getting during this trial process, like you, you have absolutely no say in, in the innocence of this person at all. No, I don't. Unless, 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 what What are you going with that? Unless it's a bench trial. Well, let's get through regular trials first. Can we do that first? That's right. So with a jury (laughs) trial, I have no stake in the outcome. I might say, think a person is very guilty and the jury comes back not guilty. That's no skin off my back. I mean, the jury has to make that determination. Uh, I might believe somebody's very not guilty and the jury comes back guilty. Once again, um, you know, it's not up to me at this point. It's all up to the jury. Now, if we do bench trials, which is a trial where the judge, not the jury, decides if a person's guilty or not guilty, it's a whole different ball of wax. I I just want to finish. I just want to finish the first ball of wax. Can we finish the first ball of wax first? <laughs> I mean, I feel like we finished trial, but bench trial is a part of trial. It's an alternative to a jury trial. Yeah. <sighs> okay. What's a bench trial? <laughs> oh wait, you already said what a bench trial is. How is it different? Does that mean is is it just different in that there is no jury and the judge is the person who decides? Yeah, the judge will listen to the witnesses who will testify, the evidence that's presented to the court. There is no jury at all. And then at the end of the case, the judge decides whether a person's guilty or not guilty of the charge. And that is based on my sole discretion at that point. Do I believe the the state proved somebody guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? Why does this, why does this exist in the first place? Isn't, isn't there a a constitutional right or something to a jury (laughs) or something? I hope you know that there is by now. Catherine. (laughs) Listen, we've been through like one of the amendments. I don't know. <laughs> well, the the deal with that is um, both sides, the state and the defense, are entitled to a trial by jury. So if the 
defense wants to waive their right to a jury trial, that's fine. But then the state also has to waive. They might say, no, we want a jury to decide. We don't want the judge to decide whether the person is guilty or not guilty. Ah. Happens all the time. And so unless both sides agree, then uh, you can't have a bench trial. Is a bench trial harder for you because you have to consider both the law and the the facts? No, not really. Uh, bench trials are much faster than jury trials because you don't have to pick a jury, which can take up to a day. Um, so you save time there. All the explanations to the jury of what they can and cannot do, what they should be doing, about breaks, about not to talk to other people people about the case, all of those instructions are, you don't have to do. So it's a real big time saver actually to do a bench trial. You can probably <laughs> take a two or three day jury trial and do it in three hours with a bench oh. trial. Yeah. So, okay. That's fair. Yeah. You can do it pretty quick. How funny would it be if, if you wanted a bench trial, you had to do like a voir dire on like a group of judges to pick like which judge. <laughs> Oh, that would be so fun. Yeah, so fun. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. I haven't thought of that one. <laughs> just be our jury panel. That would be great. And that's what they call forum shopping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, we're not making that judge. Oh, no. We're gonna <laughs> okay. So. Um, back on topic. <laughs> back on topic. Um, so are we – can we are we done with the trial part now? Can we move on, Stacy? Sort of. Um okay, so oh my after goodness. Yeah, if 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 someone is found not guilty, that's pretty much like the end of your role in in a trial. I say pretty much cuz I know sometimes you you do like to speak to the um defendant afterwards, especially, you know, since your core is family violence. And if it was like found that they defended themselves, you um you sometimes speak to them, make sure, like, you know, if they need help, they g- can get out of that situation. Yeah, sometimes I've seen in a not guilty case where, you know, somebody was accused of, uh, I guess the jury believed them and said, you know, they were defending themselves against the complainant who I think they were saying, you know, the defense was saying they're not the real victim. They're, the, the defendant was the victim. And the jury believed that. And um, after listening to the facts, I've seen that before where I'm kind of believing that too. I'm going, yeah, sounds like uh, they were in an abusive situation and they reacted to that abusive situation and they went and assaulted the person uh, against the law. But, you know, um, a jury can certainly determine that somebody is not guilty of a crime. And when I say not guilty, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're innocent that they didn't do the assault, but they did the assault for a certain reason. And the jury can go with a not guilty for that. But uh, yeah, I'll talk to defendants sometimes and make sure, you know, that they're not continuing to be in that abusive situation. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've seen that before. It does happen. Uh, so you will talk to defendants. I'm assuming, is this a more like casual setting? Are you talking in, the role of a judge there, or are you talking more in a, I, I have heard your story and I, I want to give you advice sort of. No, I'm always, I mean, when I'm talking to somebody, I'm talking to them as a judge and, uh, and I'm telling them, you know, I mean, and I, I will tell them, you know, you don't have to, your charges are 
gone now because you've been found not guilty. But And you don't have to listen to me, but it'd probably be a good idea for you to do this, do that, do something else um, for your own benefit. And really, sometimes you see it a lot uh, in family situations uh, for the benefit of your children, you know, to get out of a certain abusive type situation. Uh, because you never know. I mean, sometimes while you might have somebody who's purely beating their wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband, there's also situations where, you know, both parties can be kind of in a bad spot where they're not helping each other. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, common sense that you and I might have doesn't apply to everyone. Uh, Some people do not have the same common sense that you and I enjoy. And uh, you have to tell them, look, this is bad. You need to try to do this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm. So, And if they hear it from me, maybe they take it uh, as something that they actually will listen to versus somebody else telling them what to do, you know? So I can only hope at that point that they make a change for their life for the better and that they don't get back in the system. Cause that's what we, that's what we're, our goal is to make sure people don't reoffend, uh, don't get arrested again. Yeah. And so after a not guilty, um, there's another, another thing that you can be involved in and that would be the expunction. Yes. There's always, um, after a not guilty, I will tell a defendant on the record uh, and show them a form that says their um, their case their uh, case their case can be expunged, um, and there's a whole process where they will be essentially erased from computer databases, uh, police reports, uh, uh, taken away and and deleted, so that uh, it doesn't show that they've been arrested before on a case. Uh, that's part of the law. So I will advise them and their attorney of that to have them sign a document saying I've acknowledged telling them that. And then it's up to them to uh, start down that path of uh, expunging their record. Hmm. Okay. So, so they, they have to sign an acknowledgement. So, so it is your duty to tell people that they have that option if they were found not guilty. Yes. It's my duty to do that. Interesting. One of the many things that judges do, which, or we could spend hours talking about little tiny things. Mm-hmm. It's an important thing to uh, tell somebody that they can have their record expunged, you know, because you don't want to have an arrest that you've been found not guilty on. And that's for that's for certain type of cases, you know. And that's important, like for me and Courtney, from what we do. Like we definitely want to make sure our, our our not guilties get expunged. So I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, I, I think I think the the more relevant part of that in this episode, which is about judges and not expunctions, um, <laughs> I think what what that shows me is that you know we, we can try and simplify the role of a judge down down to these broad categories of referee or or lawkeeper, but but there are a lot of little functions that the judge serves. It seems like. That's correct. I mean, I've done everything. I have to sign motions all the time. I've got to pay lawyers, court-appointed lawyers, by signing off on their vouchers to make sure that they're paid. We appreciate um, that. I'm sure you do. You know? <laughs> and uh, I marry people. I've, I conduct weddings. That's part of my official duties as a judge is to be able to do weddings. Um, then I've got to um, do a number of things. We talk about budget items with the other judges. Uh, we have to go over the budget for the county courts. 
That's my gosh. We have to have meetings to set policies uh, on what the county courts are going to be doing for this, that, or the other. But, uh, yeah, there's lots of little perfunctory other functions that uh, the judges have to do. So that's yeah. always fun. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So do, there's like an administrative side too. That's, that's huh, I just never considered that. Yes, there's an administrative side and uh, it's not always fun. <laughs> So it's not all just banging a gavel and shouting order. That's okay. <laughs> no, there, there are other parts have you ever it. banged your gavel and shouted order, Judge? I have never banged my gavel. <laughs> I have never banged my gavel, unlike TV and movies. <laughs> I think the, there was one time where I just, I think the attorney went up to the witness and said, read this piece of paper out loud. What? what? And my, on my own, I'm just like, whoa, wait a minute. We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Do you have a gavel? I do have a gavel. It's very pretty. Because <laughs> okay. it never gets banged. <laughs> <laughs> Your 20 million listeners know that uh, judges almost never use their gavel. <laughs> it's huh. never done. It's all on TV and movies, but it's never done because nobody wants to hear a big bang every <laughs> time, you know, a case is reset or something. That would be oh, yeah. Every time, you, every time you get off the bench, you're like, courts in recess, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah. I guess that's an interesting little judge thought that people think about. Never a done. tidbit. I mean, that has turned my whole world upside down. So I'm glad that you said it. Okay. Okay. Now, now we can get back to the flow that we had going before. So we've finally gotten through trials. What's post-conviction? Well, I want to, yeah, I want to talk about like post-conviction. So yeah, you've got the not, trial, not guilty. Okay. Post-conviction can be pleas, right? People plead. And I guess the role of the judge in the plea would be like good to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I'll, I take pleas all the time. And what that means is that the, the two parties have agreed to a certain type of punishment. Somebody's going to plead guilty or no contest in, in the re, in the legal world, uh, in criminal world, I should say. No contests and guilty are basically the same thing. There's very little difference. But uh, regardless, you know, they're going to agree on more than likely probation or jail time, one or the other. Okay. And I pe- read people their rights. I admonish them. I tell them, you know, you do have a right to a jury trial. You don't have to take this plea. But if you're telling me you want to do it, then we'll do it. We make it all official. We do it on the record with a court reporter writing everything down. Um, After the documents that they sign, the defendant will sign saying they acknowledge they're waiving their right to a trial and they do want to take this probation plea or jail plea. And then I will go through all that, ask them if they're, you know, if they're guilty, not guilty or no contest. We usually say no contest. And then um, we put them on probation or send them to jail. So what is your role in that, Judge? My role is to merely make sure they're advised of their rights. They know their rights. They've probably, I would hope, been told their rights by their attorney already. But I'm going to repeat it anyways, and we're going to put it on the record to make sure that they understand what they're getting themselves into, whether that be probation or jail. 
So uh, I'm making sure of that. And then sometimes there can be, you know, subtle little things about um, that the judge, they want the judge to decide, such as, you know, how many community service hours they get or whether they have to do a weekend in jail for some reason as part of their probation. And they want the judge to make that call. Well, then I'll, I'll do that. That's not a problem. Okay. That makes sense. And then the next part of the, you know, let's say somebody gets sent to jail. Well, that's pretty easy. The bailiff will take him and put him in jail for however long they agreed to. Um, but more than likely, what we see a lot in my court is people getting on probation because they need drug help or alcohol help or um, uh, they need to take a class to um, – it's, it's a bad way to call it anger management, but those type of classes um, to make sure that they correct their their actions or behavior in the future so they don't reoffend. That's the goal of what we want to see. Uh, so I'll set those terms of probation and they'll be supervised by the probation department from there, uh, probably for anywhere from six months to up to two years. Um, and if pr the probation department has any problems with this defendant, then it comes back to me. And as the judge, I determine whether they should be rearrested, if they should be given a drug test and follow up with that or determine something else. Uh, some other course of action. But, you know, if somebody is not behaving like they should be on probation, I can order them arrested again, put back in jail, and they could have their probation revoked and uh, be sentenced to jail time potentially. And I feel like, you know, one of, the, one of the ways I characterize probation is, for me, probation is where the judge really has all the power. When you're on probation and you, you if you were to mess it up, um, that's when the judge really, that's when you really do have the most power to decide what to do. That's very true. It's totally up to my discretion. There's no, you, you don't get on probation and then decide I don't like probation and now I want a jury trial. That doesn't happen. <laughs> that's not the way it works. Uh, if you mess up on probation, it's up to the judge what's going to happen to you. Um, and I can decide that, you know, you messed up on probation a little bit, but it wasn't too bad. We're just going to continue on probation. Um, and, and say, you know, come on, get back on board and do do right and we'll continue to monitor you. Or you do something really bad, like reoffend, um, and that might be a situation where we're going to just revoke your probation. We're not going to keep you on probation and we'll send you to jail. And I, in my particular court, uh, I can send someone up to one year in the Bear County Jail. And uh, – yeah, they would go off to jail for potentially up to a year. Totally up to the sheriff how much good time credit they get. But That's a whole other topic. That's a whole other yeah. topic. <laughs> but uh, I can sentence them up to a year in jail. So, Was there anything else that we wanted to go over vis-a-vis uh, -vis post conviction? Uh, after a guilty, sometimes the judge oh, can sentencing. determine sentencing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... I a jury has just found me guilty. What what does the judge do to me now? Ah, that's very true. Well, she's guilty of being too good at her job. <laughs> always. <laughs> before anyone goes to trial, before they a jury's even selected, the defense, the defendant has to select whether they're going to go to the judge or the jury for punishment. All right, that's before they see anything, see any jurors, any type of situation like that, 
But they're not acknowledging that they're guilty. They're just saying in the event that they're found guilty, are they going to go to the judge for punishment or the jury for punishment? If they go to the judge for punishment and somebody is found guilty after the jury finds them guilty, I have to decide if they're going to be going to up to a year in the Bear County Jail or if I'm going to give them something less, less jail time or even probation. More than likely, in most cases, I'm going to give probation because I want to have, you know, the effect of having somebody's behavior change. You know, if you lock somebody up, yeah, if somebody's found guilty, um, you know, I want to make sure that they're change their behavior because if they just go to jail, they're not going to learn anything from that. They're just going to do their time in county and get out and probably do the same thing again. But I want to make sure on probation that they take classes that they change their behavior, and if they do that, well, then there's a good chance they won't reoffend, and that's the goal we want: is for people not to be getting arrested for doing anything bad to their their loved ones, their their boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever the situation may be. Mm-hmm. But but that is that is your view as as a judge, and so another judge may approach sentencing differently. Sure, because it depends on what the charge is. Another judge might have a DWI case, you know, where mm-hmm. somebody was being a fool, they got drunk, they, well, I should say intoxicated, and they went and hit some, you know, a family of four. Um, not nice, not good, and, you know, should they get probation? <laughs> it depends nice. on what Yeah, because I feel like regular folk think that if you're convicted of a crime, you always go to jail. Like, you know, people who have no experience with the system think you're supposed to go to jail if you're convicted of a crime. And so jurors are going to send people to jail. That's <laughs> just exactly. how I think it's going to happen. Real person here can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the good thing about being a judge is that, you know, uh, at certain times you got, you got to make those judgment calls about what somebody's punishment should be. And, uh over 20 years, I've seen plenty. I've seen it all. And, uh, you know, sometimes you are not going to be shocked the way the jury might be shocked by what they heard. Sure. Okay. Are we done with, are we done with trial now? Yeah. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it wasn't interesting. Um, I mean, well, I did have to edit a whole two episodes about trial, so I'm, I, in particular, might be a little burned out we on We might it. have been a little um, loud on – or a little long on that one, Judge, because it was only supposed <laughs> to be one episode, but we, we talked for so long. That's <laughs> Okay. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the election process. Um, I, I was formerly under the impression that all judges are elected, but apparently some judges are hired. What's the difference there? Well, um, there are certain type of judges who can be appointed to their positions, uh, like associate judges, which are kind of, they do the functions of a judge, but they're not uh, elected by the citizens. Um, You see a lot of those in, um, I guess you can see that in civil courts um, or juvenile courts have associate judges. Uh, You can also have municipal judges that are appointed by the city and your municipal judges do traffic tickets, those type of things. We don't elect judges to do traffic tickets. Um, so those are appointed by the city. Um, and they could be the city of San Antonio. It could be the city of Live Oak or you name it, Shirts. Uh, they appoint judges uh, to do those type of cases. But for your any type of, uh, 
I believe this is correct, any judge who's going to potentially sentence a person to jail time or prison time, they, they have to be elected. I, oh, I think that's fascinating. A, I, think that's I mean, a, I'll, throw out, I'll throw out visiting judges. <laughs> yeah, visiting judges are uh, judges who have formerly been judges, um, and they have the experience and background and the requirements to be able to sit uh, for elected judges and do the same, very same things. So we got plenty of senior judges who have been around for a long time, but they don't get elected anymore, but they will go and um, do the same exact same job as uh, elected judges. They're like judge- the substitute judges. They're substitutes. Yeah. That's the best way. Uh, but they do have requirements to meet in order to become visiting judges, right? They, they have to uh, previously been elected in some role, uh, typically elected twice, I believe. Uh, it depends on what type of judge you're talking about, but they have to have some type of seniority. Um, and then they can be become visiting judges. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I appreciate that you're getting the sense of the boundaries of what yeah. we can do in a single episode. <laughs> can you give that to these other two, please? <laughs> But that's we're talking mostly about state too, because in the federal system, judges are appointed, so none oh. of them are elected. All federal judges are just appointed. Yeah. Yes. There's no election for federal judges. They're all Why? appointed by the president. Yeah. Well, I don't trust that. I just wanted to narrow our scope. Plus, I, you know, I correctly assumed that most people did not know that. Quite <laughs> true. Good point. I mean, there are judges that aren't appointed by the president in the federal system that are hired in some other fashion, but none of them are elected. That's correct. Yes. Why? Texas is – there are states where judges are not elected at all. There are states where the governor appoints everyone. So the elected judge thing is – you know, we're talking about Texas when we're talking about elected judges specifically. Yeah, in Texas, uh, Texas is the minority. It's a handful of states that still elect their judges. Uh, in many other states, the governor or a board will appoint people to, ju- to uh, lawyers to be a judge. But here in Texas, the citizens have a right to elect their county and district court judges. Uh, and in, that includes the Court of Appeals and up to the Supreme Court, the Texas Supreme Court, and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. So. And I can tell you that the citizens typically don't know who these people are that they're voting for. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, there's, I mean, there's pros and cons to having a system where we elect versus appoint. Like, um, you know, with, with elections, like you, like the judge just said, like the average citizen doesn't know these judges, doesn't know the policies that they do or, you know, something like that. So they're kind of voting blind a lot of times. Um, but with appointed, uh, they sometimes, you know, it's harder to get rid. I hate to say that, but get rid of an appointed judge. Like if an elected judge, like, you know, if does something bad or, you know, is not. is Makes the know, news for some reason. Yeah, then, you know, then the people just don't elect him next time. But with appointed there, it's a lot harder to have that like oversight. But vice versa that, you know, having um, an elected judge, sometimes they might feel, I mean, I don't want to speak for judges. I mean, we have a judge here, but like sometimes it might feel like you kind of have to think about 
the public's reactions to certain things and an appointed judge wouldn't have to even consider that. And, you know, until recently, the party affiliation of the judge was on the ballot. Um, And so, you know, people would just vote straight party, not even caring who the judges are. And shocker, there are good judges and bad judges in both parties. (laughs) Okay. I, I will, I will certainly concede that because I've been, I may be a regular person, but I've also been listening to you guys for 10 episodes now. Um, so, and, and I will admit that before this experience, I've gone up to a polling place and not known who the heck I was voting for. <laughs> like I've been there. Um, so I guess I can see the advantages. Well, here's the inherent problem with uh, voting, you know, cause on any given election, you might have, Oh boy, five to 25 people running for judge. And let's even say in a big presidential election, you might have, I'll just make up a number, 10 people running for judge for, for 10 spots. That means 20 people are probably running for judge, but somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. Mm-hmm. So in my particular case, I'm running countywide in Bear County. So the entire county, I don't have a, a, an area of the city or the county that I run in. I run countywide. And with a criminal court, nobody really cares or I don't have the ability to reach out to 1.5 million voters in Bear County. Uh, I don't have those resources. No judicial candidate typically has those type of resources uh, to get to people and say, hey, these are my qualifications. These you know, this is the reason why you should elect me judge. Typically, you know, it's all putting signs out to kind of get your name out there for name recognition. But, you know, to get to reach hundreds of thousands of voters, you'd have to have a lot of money to do mail outs, to do TV, which almost nobody ever does. Uh, It's pretty rare. Um, So, you know, when it comes down to it, when people go to vote and there's hundreds of thousands of people who will vote, a lot of times they don't know who these people are that are on the ballot. So, you know, is that good for democracy? That's up for debate. Uh, Sometimes people are voting just for the D next to the name or the R next to the name, Democrat or Republican, and that's what they go by. That's the only information they have is the name and the party affiliation, and that's it. And some people will make a judgment call based on those two factors and nothing else. It's crazy, you know, because sometimes there are good people who are running for office who are incredibly qualified to be a judge. And then there's people who are not so qualified to be a judge. Uh, (laughs) And the party they're in doesn't matter to that. (laughs) That's very true. The party they're in doesn't matter because, you know, I don't operate as a Democratic judge or a Republican judge. I'm a judge. I just follow the law. So when it comes to voters, you know, they're, they're put in that position where they just don't know much about people. They have to seek out information. Um, you know, I know as a candidate, I try to provide that by having a website and um, Facebook, Instagram, all kinds of social media. So you can kind of get your qualifications out there. If people seek it, you know, if they try to find the information, hopefully they'll find it. But a lot of voters don't do that. They don't have the time for that especially when we're talking about multiple candidates running for many different benches. 
that are all different kind of benches. They could be civil court benches, uh, juvenile benches, county court benches, district court benches, uh, the appellate court benches. You never know, you know? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of positions to try and inform yourself on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I will say it is a hobby of mine during election season to do that kind of research, but. Oh, you you're big weird. nerd. I know, exactly. <laughs> I am a nerd and, and, you know, but my husband doesn't. And so I just kind of like sit down, tell him everything I know and whether or not he actually listens, I don't know. But. I tell him what I know about these people, and I am his resource. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. I do that for my Facebook friends. I post who they should vote for. <laughs> I'm sure they I don't say who she he should vote for. I say this is what I have found, you know, on these people, and then I might add in this is how I feel about that. Oh no! I just oh, straight up okay. say here's who you should vote for <laughs> because I have a lot of friends who aren't going to do the research, and they'll trust me. Sure. That's one way to do it. Okay. So that's, that's an interesting. So how did you, sorry, Catherine. So judge, how did you find like the whole election process? Like, was it, was it, I don't know. I guess fun is not the right word I'm looking for, but like, do you, (laughs) what were like the, the (laughs) challenges that you had, uh, for running for judge and what were some of the things that you experienced that you didn't really like expect? Huh? Well, I mean, I did find it fun. I liked meeting people and, you know, you go to meetings and organizations and you introduce yourself and you have to be, uh, and I'm not the type of personality that, you know, wants to talk about myself, but I forced myself to go and say, Hey, I'm, Michael DeLeon and I'm running for judge and these are my qualifications and I need your vote. And, you know, I'll put myself out there to do it. Typically I'm not a person who would go and let me talk about myself and say how wonderful I am. I'm not going to do that typically, but in a campaign type mode, I'll do that. And uh, the, the, the hardest part about doing, you know, just having the resources to run unless you're independently wealthy and I'm not, um, is raising money. Uh, That's the biggest thing. And really Mm -hmm. the only people who care about criminal courts are criminal defense attorneys who typically have. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to call lawyers and say, Hey, I'm running for judge. Mm -hmm. And each other for one year, five years, 20 years, help me out, buddy. I need, you know, money so I can get campaign signs and literature and, Things like that. And, you know, people make donations, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not big donations. Um, sometimes you have um, the, the civil court judges, um, civil district court judges. Uh, they do divorces. They do lawsuits. They determine if somebody wins a million dollars or not. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's nothing that I do. They get money from law firms and big checks, you know. Yeah. So they, so the Thomas J. Henry's of the world and the – other big law firms will, you know, write five thousand, ten thousand, twenty-five thousand dollar checks. That doesn't happen with criminal court judges. You get yeah, we've, we've explained like, that, like the the mis uh, the misunderstanding that like criminal attorneys, we don't really make a lot of money. Actually, <laughs> not we don't make Thomas J. Henry kind of money. That's for yeah, sure. Don't make that type of so the the money that I do get in donations is small and limited. And, uh, but you know, if you put enough people together, 
you know, you can get enough money to do a, a campaign in, in a county this size. It's an overwhelming task. So mm-hmm. you can only do your best and then go from there. Yeah, that's all you can ever do. Okay, I want to sort of pivot um, towards uh, the the last topic that I wanted to cover, partially because I already have an hour and a half to edit. But um, this is this was sort of the the last thing that I wanted to ask, which was sort of if I'm if I'm a person coming into your court as as a defendant or or a witness or a complainant, how how should I conduct myself? Like how should I interact with you if if I come across a situation where I'm interacting with you. Luckily, if you're coming into court, uh, you should have somebody, a defense attorney, a prosecutor, somebody telling you what you need to be doing, uh, especially if you're doing something wrong right from the start. Like coming into court (laughs) with a a T-shirt that has a big marijuana leaf on it. You know, you want to dress (laughs) appropriately for court, number one. It could Uh, be a hemp judge. It could be a hemp leaf. The distinction you make, Stacey, are amazing. <laughs> okay, we're saving that part, and we're going to put that someplace really good. <laughs> when you come to court, you want to dress appropriately. Um, I've seen many people who come in with, you know, uh, they might be wearing their best clothes, which is not a good thing. Um <laughs> But, you know, if you wear dance wear to court, uh, I've seen that. Um, I've seen, you know, breasts that are just coming out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought of a client when you said that, so I just started laughing. Luckily, I don't have to deal with that. The bailiff will take care of that type of thing. <laughs> but, yeah, you got to dress somewhat respectively. Uh, don't wear shorts. That's a big thing. Um you got to wear pants when you come to court, you know, it's not a picnic. So um, that's a good thing. But um, otherwise, I mean, I see all kinds of different people. I mean, I've, uh, I've seen it before, so it doesn't surprise me. And I just treat them with the same dignity and respect as I treat everyone. And I think when you do that, you know, they do the same most of the time. Mm. What is, okay. What is the deal with, with, the deep there there is a deep culture of respect around courts and like interacting with judges in particular and like i can respect that but also why why does that exist because they can send you to jail if you aren't respectful (laughs) it's called contempt (laughs) yeah i mean you have to (laughs) behave when you come to court um I've had many people act a fool in court and they're warned, please stop. (laughs) And they don't. And yeah, uh, they will, you know, get sent off to jail or their probation case will suddenly turn into a non-probation case and turn into jail time. So, you know, if you're on the edge of, you want to be on the judge's good graces, you know, you want to behave. You don't want to upset the judge. And I'm not saying I'm temperamental or anything, uh, but, you know, if you act a fool, you're going to be treated that way, you know? I wouldn't say you're temperamental either, Judge. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Stacey. Um, 
But I mean, I think historically the respect for judges came about because they can send you to jail. Like it's one of their powers. Yeah. We can restrict your liberty. So it's a, it's a big deal. It just is. I just find it interesting that, you know, I, I would assume that originally it was, it was a sort of, you know, cultural knowledge that like you should be respectful of, of the court and the people who have power over your, you know, fate be, because I, I'm sure that in, in times past, there wasn't a guarantee that those people were going to be fair to you. Um, I, I, I just find it interesting that that has become codified now. Uh, and, and I just wanted a, a viewpoint on why that would be codified and, and what purpose that serves in the court. I think it's also probably like, I mean, it's your, you respect the position kind of like, you know, you respect positions of higher power. Um, so it's like, I mean, you respect the office of the presidency, even if you don't necessarily respect the president himself. So it's like you, you, you recognize like, I mean, yeah, it's respectful because you recognize the power they have over you and you recognize, you know, their, the importance of their job. So you're you're respecting you're respecting the bench, maybe not necessarily the judge. And irritating a judge is never going to make your position better, no matter if in the past like it wouldn't have like you're you're thinking like, well, judges, you know, we're not we're not gonna be favorable to people in the past. So like what was that respect? But if you were disrespectful to that judge, your situation would become much worse. So <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It kind of comes down to common sense. You really need to just be respectful and behave, and and uh, it's it's going to be to your own uh, detriment if you don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Although, I will put a little caveat to that. I've seen people act foolish, and I don't treat them any different. Um, we might correct them, but it doesn't mean, oh, you were made a face at the judge, therefore, you know, you're going to jail forever. No, you know. I understand people make bad decisions and they make bad decisions right in front of a judge, you know? Um, But I will still treat them fairly and make them do, you know, probably give them the same type of punishment, you know, probation or or jail, just the same as if they hadn't made that ugly face at me. So, you know, you got to be fair to people. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, I, I imagine, like, as, as I'm listening and, like, as I'm thinking about it, I imagine that it's also a matter of sort of keeping things orderly and moving smoothly. Because I, I've, I've gone to court with you guys, and there were a lot of people moving through that room, and, you know, uh, a lot of defendants and their family members and witnesses and complainants and just, like, a lot of people at court. And so I imagine that if there is no consequence to just sort of doing whatever you want in that space, then it, it could get out of hand. Yeah, definitely. There'd be no order in the court. <laughs> <laughs> right. A judge is empowered to uh, run his court efficiently. And, and uh, there's, you know, there's rules out there that say the judge, you know, can and should run his court efficiently. And, and, or her court. Or her court, of course. <laughs> 
judges different, you know? And, and when you say her court, I mean, we have more female judges at the courthouse than we do male judges, I believe, which yeah. is a great thing, yeah, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. We definitely have that. So, um, yeah, every judge is different. And, you know, um, my court, I would hope, uh, runs pretty efficiently and is not too crazy. And <laughs> even, even when we have a lot of people there. In the past, that's true, Judge. Um, so so if we don't have any other sort of pending questions floating around, um, I did have one last question that I had for you, Judge. What do you want people to know about judgeship? <laughs> well, um, I want people to know that judges are there to follow the law um, they're there to do the right thing. Um, most of them, most of the judges don't have big heads. They're not trying to have you know, <laughs> great political power or anything. They're just doing their job as public servants to make sure that the law is followed um, and that people's rights are protected. That's the bottom line. Sure. And I that's like that. why we like this judge. Because <laughs> he just said, and people's rights are protected. <laughs> Because that's our job too. <laughs> All right. What about you guys, uh, my my lovely lawyers? Do you have any final thoughts? I want to thank Judge Michael DeLeon for doing this with us. He did. He didn't have to agree to it, and we're very appreciative that he did. We really wanted to have a special guest for the judge episode in particular, and it's our first um, episode with a special guest, so it's exciting. Woo! Landmark. Um, but we really appreciate you coming on, Judge, and um, we do look forward to things getting back to normal and us getting to see you more often because we used to see you like every single day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun and informative, and uh, <laughs> do it again sometime. Yeah. Um, not done with you quite yet, so don't go anywhere. Um, no. Do you have any final thoughts, Courtney? Um, I guess just like ditto to what Stacy said. <laughs> and also, you know, just to remind people, you know, law and order isn't real life. So remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to Plead the Sixth today. Uh, check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Kraus Daily Law, as well as our website, KrausDailyLaw.com, where we will be posting episodes and you can comment and yell at us about how we're wrong and tell us how cool the Honorable Judge DeLeon is. Uh, we're always happy to answer questions. Um, Judge DeLeon, you mentioned you mentioned that you have social media and a website. Do you want to plug those real quick? I don't have a website anymore. That was for the campaign. But, uh, oh, I, never mind. I am on Facebook, so you can find me at uh, – I just do a search for Judge Michael DeLeon, and I'll pop up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, you have an Instagram? Nice. I am <laughs> I am too old for Instagram, Judge. <laughs> what can I say? I also, also try to get uh, TikTok. Is that what it's called? Oh, my God. <laughs> I would so, love to see you on TikTok. Well, I got TikTok, but I don't know exactly how it works, and I'm having trouble <laughs> with it. But uh, I'm on TikTok as well. Um, not that I've posted anything. Maybe by the time this airs, you'll have posted something on TikTok. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, folks. Um, go and find Judge DeLeon on TikTok. Uh, because apparently we can expect great things. Um, and check back in with us in two weeks as we're going to be talking about a sort of related to a step to the left topic, family violence. And with two defense attorneys, it promises to be interesting. Until then, keep pleading the sixth.